I've got a friend that I hung out with about 10 years ago. We'd spend a lot of time together, and his name was Josh Easter. And I remember when we would hang out the most, there were some things that stick with me about Josh. One was that that guy loves baseball. He loves Settlers of Catan. I don't know if there's any fans of that wonderful couple back there. Wonderful board game. I always remember, too, that Josh and his wife waited to have sex until they were married. And MTV thought that was so strange and unusual that they actually did a three-part series where they interviewed them to try to understand what's up with you guys. And, and they had a chance to tell, you know, we love Jesus and that's the way he likes it. But the, one of the things I remember the most about Josh is every time in a small group that we would open the word of God. I don't know if it was his upbringing or what, and I don't think it should become a legalistic thing. It wasn't for him. It was something of deep respect. Every time someone would read the word of God, Josh would just pause a moment and say, could we stand? Because these are the words of the eternal God that created heaven and earth. You know, we stand for the national anthem. We stand for all kinds of things. Could we just please stand for a minute and honor the God who wrote this word. And I'm going to invite us to do that tonight. We're in Jonah chapter 3. And we're going to start by asking us all to stand. And I'm just going to read those 10 short verses. This is the word of the living, eternal God. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. You may be seated. How many of you guys like me maybe grew up in Sunday school and have gone through the book of Jonah, oh, 300 times in your life? <laughs> There's a few. So I, I determined tonight as I prayed and said, God, what is it you want us to camp on in this chapter? We're not going to hit every little detail. I said, God, there's so many truths in this passage. What does your spirit want to, to be communicated tonight? Because we could spend weeks on this one awesome passage. And what I want to share with you tonight are, are three short ideas that I think if we grab onto them, will change our lives will help us grab onto our call to go into the world and make disciples, the very reason we're here. And the first thing I wanted to share with you guys tonight is when it comes to going out there and making disciples, 
and sharing the truth about Jesus. Do not wait until you have it all together. Don't wait until you have it all together. I think sometimes when we read even the book of Jonah, we know he messed up in chapter one, and then we know he prayed from the fish, and then we think, hey, in chapter three, verse one, verse two and three, it says he obeyed the word of the Lord, so he's finally got it all together. And what I want to tell you tonight is Jonah did not have it all together, even when he said, okay, I'll go this time. You know how we know that? Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Let's fast forward a little bit, and we'll spend a lot of time in chapter 4 in our next message in this series. But for right now, let's fast forward. We know the Ninevites believed Jonah's message, God's message, and they repented, and God spared them. What would you expect the reaction of one of God's prophets to be if that happened? Yes, God! Look at you. You're a God who is mighty to save. You're compassionate. I love you. Thank you that you're that way in my life. Thank you that you're that way in these people's lives. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord all, and I, I imagine him whining. Like, you know, sometimes when your kids get that whiny voice. Oh, Lord. It's not what I said when I was still at home. That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish, to go the other way. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. What kind of a reaction is that for one of God's prophets? He obviously still had some messed up motives, right? We learned early on that he didn't want anything to do with taking the gospel to these Assyrians and Ninevites because they skinned people while they were still alive. They skewered them on poles and left them in the desert, and they stacked up piles of skulls outside of people's cities. And Hosea the prophet had already told Israel, hey, this nation's going to punish you. So you can imagine... It's not a real popular nation with Jonah and his people. That's why he ran the other way, and he still hates them. He still wants people that God desires to be spared to be destroyed. His heart was the complete opposite of God's about these people. Now you tell me, does that sound like someone who has it all together? This isn't hard. No. Jonah's obviously still got some issues in his life, but he still obeyed. And we don't know all the reasons why he obeyed, even he, though he had that wrong motive going on inside. Maybe he just didn't want a second ride in a fish. You know, once you've done that for three days, <laughs> you don't want to go back. He didn't want to be thrown in the ocean again. Maybe, maybe it was more noble than that. Maybe he thought, hey, I don't really love these people, but I love God for saving my life. And since I love him, I'll go do what he wants. We don't know. And I want to wrestle with that question. Is that still true today? Can God still use people that don't have it all together? Some people who still got some messed up motives. Can he still use them? Some people that screw up on a regular basis. I don't know about you, but I find great comfort in this. Uh, all kinds of comfort. 
And I want to tell you guys something that in a strange sort of backwards kind of way might be even more comforting to you. This, this will rock some of your worlds. Okay, so hold on to your seats. Francis Chan has some sin in his life. Billy Graham is still a work in progress. You know how I know this? First, God tells me, 1 John 1.8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Okay, God tells me, and these men regularly admit it themselves. It's not about them. It's about the God who's at work in them. And so rather than make idols of these wonderful servants of God, we ought to take encouragement and say, man, if God can use them that way, he can use us that way. There's no such thing as a super saint in God's economy. We're all saints, and he can use us. I thought about it, and I thought about this. If any of you are really waiting to go out there and share Jesus with people until you have it all together, you know you're going to be in a place where nobody needs to hear it anyways because they all know it. You know what that place is? Heaven. So that's my first thought tonight. Don't wait until you have it all together to go out and share Jesus with people. You never will. Second one, don't wait until you've mastered a complicated message or a deep message or a heavily theological message. Don't wait until you've mastered a complicated message. I want you to look at Jonah's sermon, Jonah's message. As on the first day, verse 4, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, listen to this, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Eight words. Some of you guys, I said this a couple weeks ago, wish that my sermons were like that, right? Eight words, let's get in, get out, get on with life. But I'll tell you what, if I had done that in a preaching class at the Bible college I went to, given an eight-word sermon, you know what I would have got? F. Jonah's message did not have PowerPoint. It did not have cool lighting. It did not have three points that all start with the same letter. He didn't have any awesome worship before or after, no PA, no handouts to give to everybody. But you know what he did have? There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but you know what he did have? Go back to verse 1. God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. He had a message from the living God, period. You can throw all that other stuff away. If you have a message from the living God, you've got something powerful in your hands, and that's for all of us. Now, some historians wonder why the Ninevites were so quick to respond. Historically, we know that shortly before Jonah got there, there had been a a total solar eclipse, a major earthquake, and a famine. And at that time, those cultures would, would look at those things and say, hey, the gods aren't pleased with us. So they were probably already a little uneasy. There are some people to the north that were encroaching on them. Some historians speculate that maybe that's why. Maybe Jonah looked all white and smelled like fish and and they heard how this man lived in a fish for three days. We got to listen to this guy. But you know what? 
The Bible doesn't say any of that. We really don't know. All we can count on in the Bible is it says they believed what God said. They believed the message that God had given Jonah. That's all we can hang our hats on. And that's the key, a message from God. And you and I, if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, have a message from God to pass on to the world as well. It's called the gospel. And you think Jonah's message was simple. Our message is simple too. Listen, Jesus took our sins upon himself and died on the cross to pay for them. He rose again. And those who trust in that and that alone are made right with God and forgiven. Is that simple or what? But if we're honest, when you hear me share that simple message, if we're honest, don't you sometimes have that nagging thought in the back of your mind, eh, they've heard that so many times before. That's, it's really too simple. That's not going to hold up in my philosophy class, or that's not going to hold up at the water cooler at work. I, I need something new. I don't know if you've ever had those thoughts where you doubt the simple message of the gospel. Or maybe, listen to this, sometimes we fall into the trap. We forget that we're all ministers of the gospel. And we start to think when you meet somebody out there at work or on the square or at the grocery store and you spark up a conversation that starts to head in a spiritual direction, your first inclination is to say, I got to bring these people to church because my pastor has PowerPoint and he knows words like premillennial and predestination. And, and I got to take them there because, man, if they could hear him, and especially if he threw a Greek word in there, man, I know they're going to get saved. But that's not what I hear Paul saying in the New Testament. What I hear Paul saying in 2 Corinthians 2, he says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. There is a power in the gospel of God, of Jesus Christ, that is available when any one of his children speak it into the lives of people that need him. I hear him saying, wait a second, don't you remember what I wrote in Romans? I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And all of a sudden, doesn't this take some of the pressure off? Like, I, I swear, I think, We've fallen in this trap in the church of like, man, if I don't go to 10 hours of this seminar and 10 hours of this seminar and 10 hours of this, and if I don't read this book and go through this program, I can never share Jesus with anybody. And I think sometimes what we unintentionally do is put too much focus on methods and techniques. And I'll say it even for our church. We got to be careful to not forget that missional community is just a tool. It's just how God's working in us right now, but it's not the missional community that saves people. It's the gospel of God 
that saves people. Is training good? Yes. Our missional community is good? Yes. But our confidence does not lie in those. It doesn't lie in our own ability to speak. It lies in our confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's living and active. That's all Jonah did. He passed on the word God had given him. That's what we're called to do. Last part I wanted to share was don't wait to respond to God's message to you. When we read the response of the Ninevites, some people think the fish in this book holding Jonah for three days was the miracle. This is the miracle. These were people that feared no one. They were the ones on the top of the pile. They didn't fear anybody else's gods. If you want to check that out, just read in Kings when they surrounded Jerusalem. You hear such pride coming out of their mouths. No other gods mess with our country. The miracle is the way the Ninevites responded. It says the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Fasting. It's not an end in itself. When we fast and set aside things in our lives, when these people fasted, it was so that they could turn their focus on God and their trust on God to remove distractions and focus on what really mattered. We got 40 days. 40 days. So the fast represented an inward reality. The sackcloth, it was stuff made out of goat's hair. It was the roughest kind of clothing you could wear at that time. I I've never worn it, but when, every time I read sackcloth and read about it, I think about Velcro. If you could imagine wearing like Velcro, like your whole outfit. It was the normal clothes for the prisoners and the slaves and the servants. And when people of power or middle class wore sackcloth, it was a way of humbling themselves and saying, God, we don't want to be destroyed. We are your servants now. We want to respond to this message of judgment. The king even says when the news reached the king of Nineveh, many think this was actually the king of Assyria as well. Nineveh was one city in Assyria. The king of the greatest nation on earth. You think about the pride that could could slip into a man like that. You're the head honcho of the greatest nation on earth. It says, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. When it says he sat down in the dust, that doesn't sound like it was just inside his palace. It sounds like it was outside his palace, where all of his people could see that even the king is humbling himself before this God. Then the king goes on to issue a proclamation. You know, many of them were already doing this stuff, but he says, we're going to make it official. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, they even wanted the animals to get in on this. They were so serious. Herd or flock, don't let them taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Evil ways are anything that went against the law. Very general term. Violence is different. Violence, it's actually the Hebrew word Hamas. Does that ring any bells from current events today? Violence is when someone who has power over another individual uses that power in an unjust way over that other individual. 
a parent who abuses their child, someone who sells a child into sex slavery, a boss who uses his power unjustly to put his employees in compromising situations, and it can go on and on. But it's when someone in power doesn't act with accountability. You heard some of the examples of the way they use their power, skinning people alive. It was horrible, ripping pregnant women open during wars. Let us give those up. And here's the reason. Why would a king of the greatest nation on earth make such a proclamation? He says, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. That word just spread like wildfire through that great city. And the whole city was in sackcloth fasting, calling out to God. We come to the greatest verse in this whole book. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. I think about their response, and I think, man, those, those people in that city, they knew they had 40 days, and you think about, man, if I knew I only had 40 days left in my life, how would I respond to God? But one guy I was reading this week said, you know what? We're not promised another minute. They at least knew as a city they had 40 days. You and I do not know if we have another minute. So if they were urgent and they're responding to God's message, we need to be all the more urgent in how we respond. I want to say there's two groups of people in this room. There's some of you that came in here, maybe found your way in here, and you hear about that simple message of the gospel that Jesus died for my sins and paid for him and rose again and all I've got to do is trust that and you're saying, I've never done that. The urgent message for you is what was written in Acts 4.12. There Luke writes, there is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved than Jesus Christ. Your urgent response tonight should be to cry out to him just as these people cried out to God and say, God, I, I trust in your son. I've tried it on my own. I'm turning to you. It's through faith in you that I'm going to be made right with God. I accept that. If anybody's wrestling through that, I'd love to talk with you. I know there are many in this room that would love to talk with you about that. But I want to say, even for Christians, there is such a thing in our lives as God's discipline, and it's loving but sometimes it's painful, nonetheless. In, in a book written to believers, Paul writes in Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. And I didn't know where we were gonna wrap up tonight, honestly, until this morning. I want to tell you guys a true story. I was sitting at my table in my home office wrapping up some details for the sermon. And I'm going to call him Billy. That's not his real name. It was a friend of mine. 
I first met him a few years back when his marriage was struggling. And the reason his marriage was struggling was because he was giving in to sexual sin over and over and over and over again. And he wanted to talk. And so we met 10, 12, 15 times. And hey, do you believe in Jesus? Do you know what it means to find your fulfillment and your righteousness in Jesus? Yes, I have. I made that decision as a child. Well, God loves you. He forgives you for that. You need to stop trying to do this in your own power. Let him do it in you. Trust him to overcome this. And myself and family and friends repeatedly encouraged him to lay this aside. But he wouldn't. He, he would not obey God in this scenario. He would not listen to the word of God in his life. And his marriage out here fell apart. He moved out east to one state, and then he moved to another state. <clears throat> and I hadn't heard anything for a while until this morning. I got a text that said, Billy has killed himself. I thought you, you would want to know. And these days, you can do things with, with news like that that you couldn't do before. My first reaction was to go to his Facebook page and see if I could at least try to get some hint of what was going on in his life over the past year. And I want to show you some of the posts because what I see here is an example. I believe what he said. He's, he's saved by grace through faith. When he trusted in Jesus, Jesus secured his eternal destiny. And it's not for me to call. That's, that's God's decision. But what I see in his life is an example for all of us believers that even as believers... We need to be real responsive when God calls us to lay aside our sin because it can lead us down a path of destruction in our families, in our, in our communities. It could lead us to a dark place. And I want you to watch his path, not just to show it to you, but let's, let this encourage us not to walk this same path. The first post I recorded here was on July 28th. If good things are in store for me, where the is the store. So you can tell there's some trials going on in his life. He's wondering, why is all this bad stuff happening? Next slide. July 30th. Please, can anyone help us? We need your help ASAP. And I got to tell you guys, as I read this, I don't feel any better than this guy. I feel broken. This could be any one of us. We need your help ASAP. We can't live where we're staying in Missouri We'll get jobs ASAP. Please, anyone, we are desperate, need help. And in the very next post, and I'd never seen anything like this on his wall in my life, was that picture on August 7th. He had made a picture of the Grim Reaper, his profile picture. And I saw that. I thought, what kind of lies must the enemy be whispering into this young man's ears? That there is no hope for you. It's over You've gone too far. Jesus would never accept you back. I don't know what he was listening to. But he had walked down this path and in some ways opened his, his mind and his thoughts to this kind of stuff. Next post. August 9th, someone help me. And then the final post today from a cousin of his, cousin R.I.P. I can't believe you left us. 
And I look at that and I think of all the times, I'm telling you 20, 30, 40, 50 times, those of us who loved him said, we'll walk with you through this. Just lay it down, man. Don't, you don't have to keep going down that path. But he did. And I love you guys enough to say, don't let that be you. The flip side of that is this. All of us know unbelievers that, that don't know Jesus, that are on their way for eternal destruction, apart from God in hell, because they haven't yet trusted Jesus. And they're making those same cries. Maybe it's not on Facebook. Maybe it is. Maybe it's something you see in your neighborhood. Maybe it's something you see at your workplace. And I want to ask us, are we listening to those cries? Do we care about them as much as God cared about these Ninevites and as much as God cares about them? Because while there's a darkness to this story and that Satan has a passion to steal and kill and destroy, the good news is that as passionate as he is about stealing, killing, and destroying, God is infinitely more passionate about giving for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Where Satan steals, God gives. Where Satan kills, God wants to bring life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I have come that you might have life and life to the full. And where Satan comes to destroy, Jesus came to bind up. When we read of his mission in Isaiah chapter 61, he said, God has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. God's busy giving and bringing life and binding up. The question for all of us is, will we respond to God's message in our lives? Will we trust in him the first time? Will we respond to what he's saying to us today? But then we face as believers the same question Jonah faced. God's doing this. Am I going to be a part of it? Am I going to obey him and get on this adventure with him? And if you're a believer in here that's waiting, I just want to ask you, what are you waiting for? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the hope that this book gives. God, the fact that you gave Jonah a second chance shows your grace. I know we're not always promised that in this life. It just shows your grace, God. And, and we would all admit that we need those, God. We need your second chances. God, I pray that we would stop waiting. If there's anyone in here waiting till they have it all together, or wait until they master this deep, quote, theological message or anybody who's not responding to the message that God has given them. God, through your spirit, enable us to say yes to you and stop waiting and step out there in your power. God, even as we invite these two young couples to the front to pray over them, as they say yes and they obey you, God, I pray that it would challenge us all. I know Many in this room are already doing this. They're saying yes, and that's why I'm so thankful. God, just please keep doing your work. In Jesus' name, amen.